0: Hey everyone, this is Under the Surface, and you're tuned into Valley Free Radio WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. We're also live streaming on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And I'm Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me today. Most of us have heard that phrase, art for social change, or art is an agent for social change, right? And we know the concept behind that phrase, that art can actually change the world in a powerful and positive way. And when I say that, I mean beyond art as an object of protest or resistance. I also mean beyond what an art lover can experience while strolling around a museum or gallery, too. And while that experience can certainly have meaning and depth to the individual person, it rarely manifests itself into some broader concrete change in the world at large, affecting many people. So what about that? What about the idea that art can change a person's life at its core, and maybe even many people's lives, pulling them out of poverty or hopelessness, for example? How many of us really believe in that? Well, my guest today, Kamel Peters, not only believes in this vision, he acts on it. Kamel is a metal artist and sculptor and the owner of the Diesel Works business in Holyoke, Massachusetts at the Waragon Building. His work ranges from intricate mask work to massive sculptures and large-scale commercial installations. And I'd urge you to go check out his website at kamelpeters.com. I'll spell his first name because it's not intuitive. It's K-A-M, as in Mary, I-L, and then P-E-T-E-R-S.com. So you can see what I'm talking about. And his bio, as his bio puts it, Kamel's work evokes the spirit of the past with a distinctly modern edge. His work lures you into his interpretations of the natural world. I can say that's true because I was very drawn toward his enormous praying mantis sculpture at the Art in the Orchard this past summer in East Hampton, which was where I first met Kamel. But as soon as I started talking to Kamel, I found out that his individual work as an artist was only half the picture of who he is. It turns out that Kamel is devoted to teaching the art of welding and metalwork to young people particularly those from low-income, underprivileged backgrounds. In fact, in our very first conversation, Kamel was talking about the relationship he discovered between algebra, a subject he never particularly loved in high school, to welding and how welding and teaching young people how to work with metal to create art is a way of making algebra real to them. But this is just the tip of the iceberg, as we'll soon find out. To give you a little more background on Kamel, he started off um, attending community college in Greenfield and then in Holyoke, But then he attended Hampshire College, and it was here that he earned a degree that combined his two passions of art and education. It was also at Hampshire that he met his mentor, a professor by the name of Charles Winkler, who had a profound impact on him. In fact, his praying mantis sculpture at Art in the Orchard was titled Wink as a tribute to Charles Winkler, who taught him the art of welding and working with metal. He's even wearing a t-shirt in honor of Charles Winkler today in the studio. So through Winkler, Kamel learned to let the natural shape of the metal pieces speak to him and guide him in his creative process. Kamel not only works with metal, but also experiments with cement, plastic, wood, glass, and various found objects, which he incorporates into his work. Kamel's work has been exhibited numerous times in the Pioneer Valley, but also in New Jersey, Florida, and New York City. And if Kamel's name sounds familiar to you, Kamel Peters, it could be because you heard me mention his name before in my interview with Georgie Rodriguez back in early October. Georgie came on the show to discuss the tragic murder of his brother, Joselito Rodriguez, in the South Point Apartments in Amherst in 2016. Kamel was the artist Georgie discussed who opened his studio doors and donated his time and materials to train Georgie and several friends of his in the making of the memorial bench to honor his brother and the people who came out to show their love in the immediate aftermath of, of his brother's death. And Kamel was the one who actually put me in touch with Georgie for that interview. So, without further ado, Camel, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: And so, why don't we start with that last thing I said about the interview with Georgie Rodriguez, because that was so revealing of who you are, I think, and what you're all about. The backstory, um, which my listeners don't know, is that you were originally supposed to do that interview.
1: Yeah. Uh, made sense to open up the interview to him only because the timing in which we were working to get the project done happened to land right bef- after your interview or my interview. So, right. So... I really wanted him to get the story out. I think, you know, as we he talked about it on the show, there was a lot of stuff that was unknown, a lot of stuff that hadn't been released yet. Um, they're still going through the case, I believe, currently. But he came to me basically right when the tragedy happened, uh, when he invited me out. First of all, I couldn't say no. Yeah. It's something where, you know, it's, it, it is an honor, but it's also a moral obligation in a lot of ways mm-hmm. to contribute something like that, not just to a good friend, but to the community. And I mean, as you got to see when the bench was unveiled, there were a lot of people there that were there because they had a personal connection, not to see some bench that was made, not to see some right. unveiling that was happening, but because they all had some form of love and respect for... What, you know what had gone on so it was something that was pretty amazing for me to be invited by Georgie to do the job but it was also really important to just put my heart into it and so opening my doors up to people that came in to join and help wasn't even a question.
0: Yeah and yeah like you said the timing because it was right like about a year from his brother's death and you know you were about to finish that project together. So it was a good time for him to go on the show.
1: Yeah, I wanted him to be able to express what his sort of side of the story was, but also just to clarify how things had happened. And so I think he did a good job of doing that, Um, although he couldn't fully discuss everything.
0: Yeah, still very fresh, the grief of what he's experiencing. It's important for people
1: to know that in a smaller community like the Pioneer Valley, everyone uh, everyone knows each other some way, shape, or form. Um, it's not just seven degrees of separation, but, you know, most likely it's a neighbor, it's a friend who knows that person. And so it needed to connect us a little more. And, I yeah. hope, you know, that's what we were able to accomplish by getting the story out there.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that involved some kind of um, teaching on your part with the people you're working with on the bench, and I want to get back to that aspect uh, of your work, but first I want to find out more about your background as an artist. Um, You told me that your first gallery was your mom's office (laughs) (laughs) as a kid. What kind of art were you into when you were little and before you got into welding?
1: Well, it's funny. She had Just about everything. I mean, I have a five-year-old now, so, you know, you don't really throw anything away. So some of the stuff that I saw that she had in the office was pretty hilarious, but pencil, ink, crayon, whatever. But as time went on, I got into pen and ink drawing, uh, pencil, charcoal, pastels. Uh, In community college, I started to find things like ceramics and more on a sculptural side. So she sort of collected all these things and I didn't really know who else to give it to. So it was always fun to go into our office and see an array of things that I had almost forgotten about.
0: Wow, and so uh, was there one area though before you were into welding that drew you in the most?
1: No, I gotta say I was pretty lost and Mm -hmm. it was, there were things that I liked to do but through Holyoke Community College for instance I found uh, reductive carving and so using heavy base styrofoam and concrete to cover the outside of this sculpture once you're done you would just carve into this like block of foam and create whatever image or, or you know sculpture and so <clears throat> after getting into that a couple times it's something that I kept doing and I went pretty far with it
0: what was the sculpture actually made out of
1: uh, so it is actual styrofoam. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. it's like board okay. form, almost uh-huh. styrofoam that you glue together and stack and create oh, I a see. large wow. block, okay. and then use like a keyhole saw and other tools. Mm-hmm. So you're almost chiseling marble, except. Mm-hmm.
0: It's foam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the infrastructure that creates a mold for something else. So.
1: Well, no, yeah. then once you had yeah. your shape and mm-hmm. or form, you would then cover it with a thin layer of con- you know, quick-drying concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sculpture is still sitting in my front yard. Wow. So,
0: mm-hmm. What's that sculpture of?
1: <laughs> it's a – I guess to describe it as a person on the toilet, as a person <laughs> sort of throwing up. It's describing you at your lowest point. Oh. And so oh. this sculpture – I've kept a few concepts from community college or just from early on. And because they they never go away, you know, it's all about how you can redo them later once you find your medium. And so this one was a sort of three stage piece where the first person is crouching down. It represents being at your lowest point through depression, through Mm -hmm. pain, Mm -hmm. anger, but the skin is smooth mm-hmm. uh it that represents keeping everything inside keeping it to yourself and mm-hmm. so the next piece is sort of starting to stand up starting to look up uh you could compared to like uh, Shakespeare's Seven Stages of Man or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's just this carry-on, or even the evolutionary theory, like mm-hmm. you're just moving forward and progressing up. It's nothing mm-hmm. new, but then these geometric shapes start to pop out, almost like they're pushing from under a shirt. Wow, I
0: want to see this.
1: And <laughs> so that piece, the middle piece, is talking about rising. is saying you're still in pain, but it's coming through that pain and figuring out how to work with it. And the last piece is the person looking up, the geometric shapes are now a part of it and they're popping way out of this you know body those shapes represent all the things that we've been through the scars and whatever else Mm -hmm. that makes us who we are Mm -hmm. and so the triangle going through the heart is like the girlfriend that you had i don't know there was (laughs) nothing super hyper specific for what i was creating these shapes for they did relate to myself which Mm -hmm. like i say it was personal but point being that I created what I call the self self love hug
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it then carries over to the double helix where the your arms just you know completely wrap around you and continuously wrap down the body mm-hmm. like a corkscrew so it's all about self love I mm-hmm. guess and that's something I as we all work on it, have mm-hmm. been you know working on and, and trying to own and yeah. also want to put out there to other people. Yeah,
0: wow, it sounds like a powerful piece. And so you did an apprenticeship with Charles Winkler, um, the Hampshire College professor, in the summer of oh, two thousand. No,
1: he wasn't a Hampshire College professor. Oh, he is actually a, a man from Baltimore. Oh, and okay. through Hampshire College, uh-huh. uh, the great place that it is okay. or was. Uh, gave me the opportunity to basically do an internship, I see. Internship. Okay, so, so he
0: wasn't a professor somewhere? Yeah. It I, seemed like that. Sorry okay, about the mix up. Okay, and you did that in 2007, the yeah, summer. Yeah, so, And you said that changed your life, so tell me about that. Who is Charles Winkler? What happened, you know, or what was the impact he had on you?
1: So a couple local friends, um, I will leave nameless, I guess. I don't yeah. know if I want to put them out there like that. But, uh, <laughs> they, I walked, it was funny because I... When I first got into metal sculpture, or metal itself, it was through blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. And I had made a spoon. It was the first spoon I'd ever made. And I was carrying around in my pocket for some reason. Walked into a friend's restaurant. And his parents were there. And I said, oh, man, you know, you got to check this out. I made this spoon. And they're like, oh, well, you should work with Wink. Oh. And, well, it's Peter and Angela. They're great people, right? And they... Followed through and connected me with this guy who's a good friend of theirs. And I would call him a good old boy. Wink is hard to describe. Because Was he
0: a blacksmith or a no, welder?
1: He, he's a welder. An he, artist? He worked at mm-hmm. uh, Bethlehem Steel for a long time mm-hmm. while putting himself through school. He would spend his spare time creating based off the scraps that were left over at the end of the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... So over his time of, you know, I mean, he, this guy's made stuff for people like Andy Warhol. He was going wow. in the New York scene, but was never, you know, never became that big New York name or whatever, but uh, just an awesome man. And in his older age decided, you know, it's finally time to work on my own art and mm-hmm. got a studio in a boiler room down in Fells Point, Baltimore, and was there for about 10 years. And then within those years, he invited me down. But first, you know, and why I call him a good old boy is he made me take a train all the way down there so we could meet formally before he signed on to me doing this project oh,
0: with him. Oh, wow. And when you say good old boy, you mean in the sort of southern kind of... Uh, no, no, no.
1: More like a good old Baltimore guy who, oh. you know, who is hard worker, oh, middle okay. class, you know, just really spent his life busting his uh-huh. butt, you know. Okay. And, um, but he had a voice that some people... People have tried to describe the voice, but I just try and copy it, you know, but mm-hmm. um, it, it, it- Go
0: ahead, you can impersonate it, him if you want.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll work it, on that. Okay. I'm, I'm on a spot, I gotta, okay. I gotta prepare. that's all right. But point being, he, he opened his doors to me, mm-hmm. and from the first project that I did with him to him leaving me on my own to do stuff, uh, the last project we made together was a praying mantis. Mm-hmm. So, same sort of thing. Uh,
0: so, but it, it was not the same piece as the one you had? Okay.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Um, you always try and show your mentors up and, you know, come back and say, <laughs> hey, man, look at this thing that I made. And he's like, ah, that's all right. You know? <laughs> was, mm-hmm. And he, uh, 10 years later, it was time, you know, to sort of show him up. And so I started working on that piece. And during the time, you know, got a call saying that he wasn't doing so well. So went down to see him and he was sort of on his way out, I guess. Um, wow. But in the time that I was with him, I was there for a summer and I got to stay with him and his girlfriend and and, and, and she let me stay in her place. Like he had me in the shop every day and we just sort of worked away on, you know, the art of blending welds and mm-hmm. running beads and, you know, doing, doing the things that are now a magical form that I use on an everyday basis.
0: Wow. And was that the first time then that you ever, would you call it a welder? I heard you refer to that as a welder, the the actual tool that you use to weld with. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time that you did that, that you worked with metal?
1: Uh, so, Hampshire College introduced it. Okay. They have a different program where you do safety training mm-hmm. and then you're in the metal shop. Whereas most four-year programs, especially for your art programs, are going to put you through prerequisites to get there. So most students say at UMass won't start welding until their senior year because it's seen as more of an advanced class or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool being a part of Hampshire's program, the Lemelson program is what it was called at the time. Being invited in and just having people there uh, who they didn't really guide you until you asked. You know, if you were messing something up and they saw, they were there to support. But if you wanted to move forward, it was it was very self directed learning, which I'm a big proponent of Mm -hmm. because a lot of the tools: MIG welding, TIG welding, angle grinding, plasma cutting. It's all about getting the hours in Mm -hmm. and.
0: So, uh, did you feel that? Uh, it's funny. I want to say, did you feel that spark? No, like, no pun intended, but there is a pun there. Uh, when I mean, when did you feel that? Like, that welding really? Did you feel like a thrill in a way, or like a rush experience from welding?
1: Yeah, that, uh, welding and blacksmithing, just mm-hmm. metal in general. Mm-hmm. As soon as. And what
0: is it about that? What that gives you that?
1: It's hot. It's permanence. Mm-hmm. Is amazing. Mm-hmm you have to respect the medium because it'll jump back and bite you as Winkley's Because it's literally say.
0: dangerous.
1: It's, it's dangerous in the sense that if you don't respect what you're doing, like any job, mm-hmm. like driving a car, you That's can't true. fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah. But <laughs> so you have to pay attention. And so it was really captivating for me. It really mm-hmm. made me feel engaged. And I like the outcome. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it runs throughout history. So there's so many directions you can go with metal from actual creation of buildings to sculpture to spears like weaponry and things mm-hmm. of that sort i mean there's there's no s- limit to what we've done with metal and the more you start to look around if you're not a metal person you'll recognize how much it's in your life when you start to point at things and look in your house and certain infrastructures and things mm-hmm. are based off it so yeah that was very intriguing. It's something where I don't think you're ever going to learn everything there is to the metal game. Mm-hmm. And so everybody sort of finds their niche. And right now mine is my personal work, but now transferring that to working with kids.
0: Yeah, and it, it's it, it does seem like there's almost, there might be almost a cathartic feeling to welding, because, like almost as if you have superpowers because you can pick <laughs> up this sparking tool and cut through metal, which just, you know... It, it just seems like how you know amazing that you can change things and create things that way.
1: I guess there is some form of invincibility you can't let go to your head. But <laughs> one point, and I think we can talk about this a little more later, but just based off that is when you do that for somebody else, because the feeling that I got having that sort of power in my hands made me feel like, yes, I could do anything. But I stuck with metal. So if I can put mm-hmm. a welder or a torch or something in a kid's hand, that's giving them a certain level of respect to then say, well, if I can do this, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. That's the hope. In
0: yeah. Us. And can you give me and my listeners just a brief kind of metal working 101 or not too extensive, but just what, what are the names of the tools? What's involved? Like you referred to beading and some other terms that I don't know. Okay. so Paint a brief picture in our head of
1: a a mig welder is a very very glorified hot glue gun Mm -hmm. you have a material that comes out of it where the glue gun is plastic for the mig welder it's actual steel and that's the thing
0: you're holding in your hand To
1: yes and so it's a whole machine with a spool of wire that shoots the wire through the gun wow and that arc at it melts the steel coming out Mm -hmm. That steel can then seize two other pieces of steel together. Oh, okay. so you're actually gluing stuff with mm-hmm. gluing metal with metal. I see. Uh-huh. Um, a plasma cutter is like the fifth element. I won't go there. <laughs> 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 but plasma is, the f- anyways. There, it's an electrode that has forced air coming from behind it, and you can cut through steel with it. You can cut up to depending on how big your plasma cutter is, but mine can do up to about an inch thick of steel. So you're taking care of substantial material and able to cut designs, able to cut straight lines. Uh, The angle grinder, you're able to treat surfaces and grind down welds. So when I refer to the bead, a bead is a line that you're creating with the weld, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that bead will pop up and over. What I learned from Wink is you then take an angle grinder and grind that bead down, Mm -hmm. and it smooths the two pieces together. Mm -hmm.
0: And that angle grinder is probably really noisy. Am I right?
1: It's all pretty noisy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's like lots of sparks flying and you have to wear a safety thing over your face, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, ear protection. Gloves for welding and plasma cutting, uh, a jacket, you know, stuff that's not flammable. So there, there is a, I, I, like, I don't like to refer to it as danger as much as a, you know, level of caution. Right, and right. And so being prepared properly is great.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. And you said when we emailed before the show that everything in the world inspires you to do your work. Um, talking about your individual artwork. And can you give us an example of something you did in particular, like maybe the Wink sculpture of the Praying Mantis, perhaps? Like what what inspired you? What, what, did it involve found materials that sort of were suggesting this shape? Or Well, in that case, it sounded like it came from the project you did earlier.
1: Right. And so in some ways, inspiration comes from the people. If somebody comes to me and says, I want whether it's a sign for a business. Now, think of a place like Mission Cantina. They wanted a specific sign with flames on the tops of the letter. Oh, you and, did their sign? Yeah. Cool. And mm-hmm. so I'm able to, make their dreams come true. So that inspiration is what comes from out in the world. Because how are they inspired? As a Mexican restaurant that Mm -hmm. wants these certain Mm -hmm. attributes, Mm -hmm. I now have to delve in and work directly with the client to create their vision.
0: And that's a big part of your work, too, is the commercial elements.
1: Well, same with uh, Tiger Lily Hair Salon. They wanted an interior done. Where is that place? They're over uh, Pinocchio's in Northampton. Uh-huh. And so, but making an entryway desk doesn't seem as inspirational as making a uh, sign that has flames on the letters, but using reclaimed wood, creating mm-hmm. a very aesthetically pleasing atmosphere, is a major thing for a hair salon to have. So, being able to work directly with her and come up with something that, you know, between the shelving and redoing the floors and, you know, putting in the desk and benches. And one right. thing I did for them, you know, there's a thing called a potlithial height. And so they're different for men and women. And so I created the benches in Tiger Little Hair Salon so that they were at the potlithial height for women. What do you mean is, by that? Okay. It's a couple inches shorter, mm-hmm. but it, it, it basically is where your comfort zone is to sit. Mm-hmm. So, if you ever notice, a lot of chairs, a lot of benches, a lot of stools, when you sit on them, they might feel a little taller. Mm-hmm. These being just slightly shorter, yeah. she says, every <laughs> single person that comes in here, who is a woman, of course, who, you know, is like, wow, I don't know what it is, but it just feels like it's made for me. And I'm like, well, it is. Mm-hmm. And so to think that we don't involve that in our society, being able to do that with a particular business... Yeah is was awesome you know and it, was, it, was, it was a fun way to sort of create and so that's a inspirational side of you know pulling from the world uh, yet again what was that
0: phrase you use pot
1: pot lithial. so it's, what does that mean it's what? just a standard height oh. for something that okay. exists so okay. if and these are all heights that were pre-made yeah i was thinking
0: about ice. how the chairs we're sitting in right now feel a little low for me but anyway go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so but then when it comes to making a mask now i made a many series of mass. I've made different types. That inspiration, I t- tend to say, is worldly because most people will come and say, oh, well, these are very African-inspired. And my only reaction is, is well, what isn't? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and yeah. so when you start to think about the mask itself and how it's been in every single culture. Now you're taking from these different cultures from the past, but how do we involve the present? Mm-hmm. Not just by using steel, but by using new age materials and so in and, and different designs. And so I then am able to see things that have traveled across time and also throughout space, throughout mm-hmm. our, you know, culture and so that's where the worldly inspiration comes from mm-hmm. and it's it's a challenge but it's, it's a very it's a good challenge it keeps you on your toes and it's really fun to walk into every day
0: mm-hmm. yeah well um let's see and and about, i wanted to ask about the found objects um that make their way into your work like and you've made some kind of lamps and things like that that are you know kind of both you know, art, they're artistic, they're works of art, and they're also functional, which is really interesting.
1: Well, so my mentor used to work with bits and ends. You know, Bethlehem Steel is this huge, huge factory and made a lot of steel across America to, to the day. Using bits and ends, that's trash. That's for discarded. So he sort of taught me to take what you can get your hands on. Stuff like propane tanks, people, you know, the ones that you use on your grill, mm-hmm. people throw those away pretty much. Once they're out of date or service, they just get recycled.
0: Mm-hmm. And Didn't so, you use those in some of your masks?
1: I use them for a lot of the masks. Mm-hmm. I use the ends for the uh, simpler masks. But then when you think about a piece like the giraffe, I think you saw yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Well, that's f- full body it was made out of propane tanks as well. Wow. So this process of blending that Wink taught me, the circle masks are two, three pieces put together. The giraffe was like 200, 500 pieces put together and blended to look a certain way. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to use what's right in front of you. I think it's more of a challenge to take a bunch of junk and turn it into something. And there's a lot of artists doing it, but it's it's once again, that challenge to take discarded materials that would go into the dump and get thrown into the earth and say, well, now I've reclaimed it, you know, mm-hmm. reclaimed is such a niche term right yeah. now. Um, and now this tank that was going to end up in the landfill is now a sculpture in your front yard.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, do you, when you start off on a, a project like, uh, your own artwork in some way, say, you know, um, the praying mantis or some other piece, like the elephant piece you did, do you um, think about uh, uh, some kind of message or impact you want this to have on the viewer?
1: Yes and no. It depends on the piece. Mm-hmm. The elephant was something that carried over from community college, uh-huh. whereas the other thing, the the three-piece you know, figurative sculpture – also carried over but that had a very deep and personal message right. that I want to carry over. Mm-hmm. Whereas the elephant, it's an elephant. It stands on its trunk. I like the way it looks. Yeah. You like the way it looks. So <laughs> what message needs to be in an elephant as much, you know, as what needs to be in a figurative piece with geometric shapes coming out, you know, that has a background. That has a meaning to me. And so when it's there Sure, there's definitely something I want people to see. But a large praying mantis—it represents my mentor, and Mm -hmm. it's now homage to him. Mm -hmm. And it's something that shows everything that he taught me. Mm -hmm. As I tried to show him up, I think he still won, but he, you know, wasn't there to say if I did or not, so Uh we'll never know.
0: So he was an artist in his own right. Did he exhibit his work? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he
1: spent. You know, he lived the rest of his life off of the work that he sold. Uh, he's, he's very well known in Baltimore. Yeah. He even did these, uh, kind of like the Tigers in South Hadley and the Bears in East Hampton. Uh-huh. The, Baltimore is known for the crab, Baltimore crabs. And he uh-huh. made these little two, you know, these little funny looking crabs standing mm-hmm. up, but they're all over the place wow. to this day. Oh, cool. And...
0: Okay, we're, well, I think we're going to take a brief break right now to hear a song that I think Kamel will like and some messages. So stay with us. We'll be back soon. Thank you. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. This is Under the Surface on Valley Free Radio, WXOJ Northampton at 103.3 FM. I'm Amy Landau and my guest is the artist and sculptor Kamel Peters. And we just heard Bob Marley and the Wailers with the song High Tide or Low Tide. I knew Kamel liked Bob Marley because of a YouTube video I found him giving a speech on about five years ago in Amherst and I decided to search for some lesser known Bob Marley songs. So back to our conversation, Um, Kamel, what gave you the idea to teach the art of welding to young people from low-income backgrounds? I mean, did you want to give them the experience you had? Did you want to give that experience back to other young people like yourself?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, I would like to clarify, it's not just low-income people. It's everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't feel like there should be a separation. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Youth in general are disenfranchised based on age, based in – The fact that their voices are not heard. So in able to give a voice to young people, I think you start with empowering a young person by giving them respect, by giving them ownership over something. And welding is a very easy approach, not just to make math, science, and history a little more hands-on. I think that's secondary. I think what happens first is they start to see that you trust them. And trust is a big factor for young people. Not not a lot of adults trust young people these days. Mm-hmm. And if I can trust you to come into my shop and do something on your own and come back and check in with you, see how you're doing, give you pointers and support you, and that becomes a regular thing twice a week for a year. I think that's more empowering than anything else. And that shouldn't be just held to youth that have less. Obviously, I want to work with people that need it. Um, but There's nothing in the way of a youth that has, in comparison to one that doesn't, that means they need it more or less. Mm -hmm. So I want it for the people that it appeals to. Mm -hmm. And for a kid that's in the Department of Youth Services, you know, in the social system, for somebody who's been kicked out of school multiple times, for somebody who has been having a hard time in school because they're not excelling, yeah, I want I'm that is where I want to focus to bring people in and say let's take another approach at that because that's the same hard time I had in school mm-hmm. and I want to be able to give the opportunity back to give a different approach to learning because You don't have to tell every kid in the world that they can be a doctor or a lawyer and then not branch out that much. I remember my guidance counselor telling me I'd make a great janitor.
2: Well,
1: guess what? I clean the toilet in my shop all the time. (laughs) And you were right. (laughs) I do like taking care of that kind of stuff. I am. My brain does think in that meticulous nature, but was I meant to be a janitor? Maybe, maybe not. That
0: seems like a very terrible thing for the guidance counselor to say to you, though.
1: Well, it, when you tell other kids that they can be a doctor and a lawyer and mm-hmm. then you yeah. amongst your social circle, you know, mm-hmm. after, when you're having that conversation, like, so what did they say you're going to be? And you're like, oh, janitor, you know, wow. it's like, wow, that that cuts you deep. Yeah. So I think you shouldn't limit a student ever. Right. You should always tell them they can be whatever they want, even if you have to be realistic based on their commitment to the school system the school system should figure out a way to cater to them in order to help them become whatever they want. And I don't think that happens much here. So if I can take a different approach, maybe a kid goes back to algebra class the next day and says, all right, this is making a little more sense because I touched it and cut it and burned it yesterday or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the idea a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And How are you conducting the teaching that you're doing? Um, I I mean, are you partnering with other organizations or are you kind of getting the word out in your own way?
1: So currently I'm working with Lighthouse, which is a homeschooling school based in Mm -hmm. Holyoke. And we have recently partnered up, so it's a very new situation. They are going above and beyond to find grants and anything else to create, you know, generate funding to make it happen. I am also working with as many people as possible, I'd say. So I've reached out to the Holyoke Public Schools. I've reached out to Dean Tech. I've reached out to places like the South End Community Center. And we've been in conversation for some time now, hoping to look to push maybe towards the spring. Uh, Department of Youth Services out of Holyoke and Springfield are places that I'm in conversation with. So I'm still always open. Mm -hmm. But for right now, those are places that I think have the groups of kids that I'd like to try and work with. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see.
0: Yeah. And so um, you said that you don't make the distinction between like just teaching underprivileged students versus students who are not underprivileged but I mean so your focus really isn't on that because it does I'm just wondering about that because it does seem like you know people who have more privilege you know although they may not have the voice like you're saying or so I guess that maybe that maybe I've answered my own question so (laughs) in in the schooling system your focus is more on like any student regardless of their economic background who feels sort of voiceless and is sort of struggling in some way.
1: Is, yeah. that, is that right? Yes, definitely. Um, but I think that there are kids who need to find their voice no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think we, as a society, we skip out on great people. Mm-hmm. We almost skipped out on Einstein. You know, mm-hmm. do we want to go there? But like, mm-hmm. there are so many people that should have opportunities. Now, mind you, I'm coming from the sort of philosophy of, of the of James Baldwin, where he felt, you know, he, that if you put a silver spoon in someone's mouth, they don't have to necessarily be born with it. But if they are at least, if at least if it's given to them, they might be able to have miraculous change. Not only, but if they had it from the beginning, who's to say they couldn't be the same person that that person born with the silver spoon is today? And so, when you're taking somebody who has never had these opportunities, and you implanted mm-hmm. there's a good possibility that they might change now, as a James Baldwin scholar at uh, Hampshire College, that's what the idea was. Mm-hmm. And I gotta tell you, it worked for me. I'm I feel completely changed due to the fact that I felt under that sort of great concept that was then imposed to a schooling system. And they were willing to try it, you know, because Mm -hmm. not a lot of people are willing to take that chance. So I'm now sort of giving back based off the program I went to Mm -hmm. to try and give back in the same manner.
0: I see. Wow. Do you harbor any ill will towards that guidance counselor today? Do you almost want to say, look, look at what you said and look at who I am?
1: No, because I think it goes beyond your guidance counselor when you Mm -hmm. think about this system of teaching that is currently set teachers are upset in that system because mm-hmm. they can't teach the curriculums they want yeah. you know principals are upset because they don't have the means to provide books and do the certain things they want so where if you start going up the line i think we're going to bump into a conversation we do or don't want to have but it when you harbor that kind of frustration and guilt for people or you know, not guilt but you know frustration anger. and anger <laughs> I would like to say thank you for saying that more than anything else, because you gave me the drive to become something different. Mm -hmm. And although in my life, at one point when I worked at the Lord Jeffrey Inn, I was a janitor. and You know what? Being a janitor is a respectful job. That's true. Where people make money. I think we have it all backwards. You know, when you look at the trades, you assume, oh, that person's not making it. Whereas kids are spending X amount of dollars to go to college. Not knowing who they want to be, what they want to be, even by the time they come out, go into college debt and end up working—you know—they're in a business, uh, you know, got a business degree, and they work at Dicks. So, what's the difference mm-hmm. when you take somebody who can now work in the trades and end up with a 401k, end up with, you know, a really good or decent-paying wage, and they have a day-to-day job doing mm-hmm. something that is more hands-on? Yeah, but we frown upon that, and. Right.
0: That's the main point, I think, in a way, is that that the labeling of people based on one aspect of what their work is, you know, the whole status.
1: And so, you know, it's not about him saying that I would make a good janitor. It's more about him delimiting what I have the capability of becoming and not being able to see that because after a while, kids become statistics. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: how can you work with so many and still keep the passion and caring for Mm -hmm. each individual? Uh Uh-huh. So it's tough.
0: And so you've worked with a number of young people at this point. Um, and what what have you discovered or in the working with them
1: that kids are innocent no matter who you are working with. Mm-hmm. They want to learn, they want to understand what's going on in the world. And as angry as you can make a kid, you're basic what you're doing is you're taking a brand new, fresh Open heart, and you're cutting it over and over again, and those scars are eventually going to leave people as angry adults. Mm -hmm. And so, if we don't start to cater to these kids sooner than later, why do you think we end up with so many jerks in the world? But uh, so, with the kids that I've worked with through youth programs back in college, I did a ran a program called Get Up, Get Down through the Youth Action Coalition. We were doing murals on the side of walls. We were doing, you know, they actually ended up doing a pilot program, starting to use and, you know, understand and learn metal. And it was such a great group of kids that, you know, I miss you all to this day. Hope (laughs) you're out there doing well. But most of them went on to do great things. Uh, I can't say it was all my doing because maybe they were just good kids to start. But everybody needs a place. And so a, a place to start, a place to feel like home, away from home Mm -hmm. and so what I found with every kid that I work with when you give them a certain level of honor when we honor our children they will honor you back
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: that will always 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 be with them Mm -hmm. you'll never I never forgot the two good teachers I had it was all the crappy ones that I just you know had to let go over time and so I think to strive to be that good teacher like you know Rick, Rick Giff was a great guy, you know, Mm -hmm. like he worked with so many kids, but he never left my heart to this day. And that was in sixth grade for me. Mm -hmm. So... And that was your teacher? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's one of those things where if you could just try being a good person, and Mm -hmm. then when you're a good person to other people, it might help them be good people. And so in trying to be that good person to young people, like that's the experience that I had. And it sounds like the, a
0: lot of it is the the one-on-one mentoring in a way.
1: Well, it, d- it depends on what you consider mentoring to be. You know, I mean, people, allowing
0: that kid to be who they are. Like you're exactly. saying, a home away from home with a, a person that they can learn from rather than, okay, you have to sit in your desk and be quiet or whatever.
1: Yeah, and it's being honest with them. It's being real with mm-hmm. them. It's being somebody who, has been through it as well. yeah. And when you think back to being a kid, I mean, what is it like 12 to 20 or 15 to, or 14 to 18 is like the most tumultuous time mm-hmm. in an individual's life no matter who they are. Like you just,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so why not cater to somebody in that time? Mm-hmm. And so for the many, many groups of kids that I've worked with, that's all that I've ever tried to impose is mm-hmm. Being somebody that they can know, honor, trust, and, you know, feel like I'm giving them my whole heart, so they should have it too.
0: Yeah, and so do you have any particular stories of a young person you worked with where you saw some sort of change or, you know, maybe from working with you and from having the welding experience?
1: Um, well, I guess it's all... It's hard to say because it would be a long story. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to figure out what would f- actually fit. But yeah. what I will say is, for instance, like with bringing in the guys who were working with Georgie right. and helping in that, Yeah. The they none of them had to come back and become a welder. And I don't necessarily know exactly what any of them are doing now, but right. they always have that experience. And for people who have never done something like that before, they all came in and gave it, like 100%. And I got to see the real people that they were. Mm-hmm. The way that we laughed together, the mm-hmm. way that we hung, the way that we, mm-hmm. you know, pro- also produced this thing that they had a lot of passion behind was something that you don't get out of probably the same group of people on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. And so being able to connect beyond what other people could right. is something that was. Great, you know
0: right and that kind of relates back to what you're saying before about you know not limiting people and seeing people as full individuals and um, I'm just wondering like we, we talked about this before like in conversation we touched upon it about how you know young people who have been in a, in and out of prison and that there's so many misunderstandings about um, young people who have been incarcerated do you have any thoughts about that
1: I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> it's a huge the, topic. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> so we, we've always feared the bad guy in black, you know, and when mm-hmm. you go to jail, you get a felony, especially now you are have a blemish for the rest of your life mm-hmm. that someone will say no matter what that felony was, this is a bad person. Right. Now that leaves no space for somebody to change. That leaves no space for somebody to be the good person that they might have been. Now, mind you, there are a lot of felonies that I don't agree with, and, you mm-hmm. know, messing with little kids and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's different. Whereas yeah. uh, something like a drug offense or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, assault, but you were defending yourself. Like, right. I, there, there are so mm-hmm. many avenues to mm-hmm. go down with that that it's hard to speak on every individual one. Mm-hmm. But think about it marijuana is legalized now. How many kids are still locked up right, right. for charges mm-hmm. before the legalization? Yeah. And so are those kids bad people?
2: Yeah.
1: Now that they have this blemish on their record, how do they start to rebuild? And I think it's really hard to get out there and want to become a part of the workforce when the only thing you can do... Now, say you were selling drugs or something, right? You got popped for uh, whatever, possession, right? And... Uh, You were making a lot of money selling drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the best job you can get is paying you minimum wage, and you're at like a Mm 7-Eleven where your buddies come in and see you, so they see the drastic change. Now, you're trying to stay on the straight and narrow, but this is your only option, and your boss is a jerk because they're treating you like a piece of crap because they took the chance to hire a quote-unquote felon. Right. What does that do to you when you know in the inside of yourself and in your soul, in your heart, that you were born a king, you know, you were born somebody who Mm -hmm. is just as special as everyone else. Yeah. And that gets beat down in you?
0: Yeah.
1: How hard how easy is it gonna be to go back Mm -hmm. to selling drugs again and compare? You know, so we gotta give these people that have been in these situations due process for sure. Yeah. But how do you make it so that they can now achieve? And when you look in other countries, for instance, right, jails teach you to be come out as a carpenter, come out yeah. as an engineer, come yeah. out at, with a degree. I know, you know, not work on some in some privatized situation where you're yeah. making stuff that no one even knows is happening, and what's your skill from that?
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, rather than in a way, slave labor, like a kind of you un- Are very low, almost ridiculously low. Like thirty-two paid. cents an hour. Yeah, kind that of pay. prisoners. I know. I was just talking to a friend of mine who works tor- towards changing um, prison policies and things like that, and and she had visited other prisons in Norway and places like that, and they are they they can vote while they're in prison. They're encouraged to get an education. The whole. The whole trajectory is completely flipped from what we do here, which is all about punishment.
1: Well, prison to help and prison to punish are two different things. And I think if we want to see change in the people that are going to jail, we have to figure out a way to help them create that change because obviously – they got there because they had a lack of help. Right. You know, I'm a strong believer that no one gets through on their own no matter who you are. Somebody has come and thrown you some type of help in order to make it. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: when you feel like your society has backed out on you, what are you, you know, what else are you going to do?
0: Right. Um, and when I think of, this is a, a change in topic, but when I think of welding, I tend to picture men doing this kind of work, you know, because of the sort of stereotype, I guess. Um, but then I realized there was Flashdance the movie with a young woman in the 80s who was welding, I don't think she was welding artwork, but, and I know, I actually knew somebody from elementary school who got super into welding when she was, you know, in college, I guess. And so I'm curious, do you have women students? And do you find that women are drawn towards welding as an art form?
1: Yeah. Like like I said, it takes a certain type of person, but that certain type of person can be a man or a woman for sure. Uh, when you think about what, why is it our society, when we were in World War II, decided women can do everything that men do because the men are gone. And as soon as the men got back, they said, okay, now go back to being a housewife. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's a little strange? But At that time, that's when my mentor, Wink's mother, became a welder. And without her doing that, he would have never learned to weld. Mm -hmm. Because he learned from his mother. Wow. So it's, you know it's amazes me for us to still be stuck on gender politics, although we have to be, because it's just who we are, I guess. But And look at the news. (laughs) It's so crazy. Yeah. But
0: Raise your hand if you're not a harasser.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's very, as frustrating as it is, I was raised by a single mom, you know, women have been in my life as, you know, contributing factors to me becoming who I am. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I get the opportunity to teach to a woman, obviously, you know, but I I just don't, I try not to be gender specific, you know, I yeah. think especially in a day and age where we're even questioning gender and pronouns are replacing, mm-hmm. we wanna be more focused on who, is a welder and who isn't Mm -hmm. and if you come into the shop and show that you like it Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what your background is. but
0: i was thinking there might be some women or young women who um because of all the stereotypes wouldn't even think of doing something like this you know what i mean so it might take a little effort to say hey this is something you might really enjoy doing it doing you know
1: i mean at Hampshire College, they had women's fabrication. I would love to do a women's fabrication course in my shop, but then with gender politics, it's women's fabrication being taught by a man. Oh. So I, w- I can offer it and mm-hmm. see who's interested for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it it's a male dominated society, so we're yeah. dealing with that on every level, of right. course, you know, where. Any jobs, people are getting paid less and more because of gender or race or whatever else. And so I'm creating opportunities for women to do it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I hope that over a course of time, that's something I'll be able to show and prove rather than just saying it on the radio. Because I'm not one of those. Have you had
0: women students? Yeah, I have two now. Oh, great. Okay, that's good to know. I I
1: have a few right now.
0: Great. Um, and um, let's see I think we should start to wrap up do you have any upcoming shows you'd like to announce of your own artwork
1: Uh, so yeah February 10th I believe is the East Hampton Art Walk so we're going to put together something pretty cool I'll be collaborating with Genuine Culture LLC which is a show coordinating company Mm -hmm. and uh, Ruology Cocktails which is a nice beverage company and we're going to bring people through to 74 Cottage Street in East Hampton.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, when, yeah.
0: is, when is that? That's coming up, East, the East Hampton Art Walk?
1: Yeah, I believe oh. it's the 10th. Okay. So, yeah. you know, we're just sort of there hanging out. I mean, the yeah. work is currently up there. That's mm-hmm. a buddy of mine who owns Berkshore.
0: I saw that work. That was mostly mm. the masks. That you yeah. yeah.
1: And so that, that's really all I have going on right now. In the winter, you kind of hunker down and yeah. take it easy. But mm-hmm. I'm sure in the springtime we'll be doing mm-hmm. a bit more.
0: And if a young person is listening right now and wants to learn how to work with metal, how could they contact you?
1: Uh, email, Facebook, mm-hmm. just my name, you know.
0: Kamel K A M I L Peters.
1: And <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm I'm out there. My shop is four eighteen Dwight Street, so feel uh-huh. free to swing by and
0: uh-huh. that's in Holyoke. Great! You've been listening to Under the Surface. I've been talking to Kamel Peters. Thanks so much, Kamel, for being a guest on today's show.
1: You're welcome. It's thanks been a for pleasure inviting me,
0: having you here, and thanks for listening, everybody. Please tune in again next Sunday at twelve noon. And I was able to cue up a song by Bob Marley that um, Kamel wanted to hear that he really likes. And this is what was it? Babylon. System. Babylon system, and it's about. What is it about? <laughs> uh,
1: I think I think it's all in the title. <laughs> You'll hear. All
0: right. So see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.
2: We refuse to be what you wanted us to be. What we are That's the way It's going The blood of the Samaritan